You know, this is an amazing thing. I don't know if you think too much about these things. I do, uh, but in the sense that Easter is just like a large segment of civilization celebrate Easter, the the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, a large segment of of civilization worldwide. Now, it's not always in the same day. If you, in the Orthodox Church, for instance, in Europe mainly, Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, places like that, uh, they have, they go on a little different uh, thing that they do in terms of celebrating, and they do it, I think theirs is in like two or three weeks. Um, One time I was in Russia for Easter, it happened to be the same uh, they happened to have it on the same Easter Sunday that we did here, which was kind of good for me. But um, So, I mean, that, that doesn't really matter. The point is people celebrate Easter. A large segment of, of, the, of the world celebrate Easter. Obviously, it's not a big holiday in Saudi Arabia, but I mean, in, in, in many, many parts of the world, that is the case. So, I just think it's kind of cool, and we're going to talk more about that in a, in a moment. One of the things I feel like if we did not do this, whether I'm sitting where you are or standing where I am, um, I would kind of feel cheated if we didn't go through one of the, at least one of the gospel accounts of the first Easter, the first resurrection day. And we're going to go to the gospel of John and just uh, read through that. Um, that's, I like that one a lot. I mean, I like Matthew's version. I also like the Mark and Luke's version, but we're going to do John this, this time. And um, just kind of take us back a little bit and remember what, what really did happen and how it, how it all came down for them uh, on that first, that first Easter. That's John chapter 20, and um, we're going to begin in verse 1. Early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple. That's John refers to himself here, most scholars believe, as the other disciple, um, instead of saying Simon Peter and me, he refers him to himself as the other disciple, uh, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and I don't know where they put him. <laughs> this is kind of cool. Peter and the other disciple ran to the tomb to see. The other disciple outran Peter to get there first. Right there in Scripture. Ladies... I know we're here to celebrate Easter and the Lord's resurrection, but if you didn't know this, let me just kind of clue you in. Men compete, okay? That's what we do, okay? It's just part of the deal. There are some women who do too, and I'm not saying they don't. But, uh, I mean, right here in the Bible, can you just see John writing this? I've got to put this in. Uh, you know, and, and for all of eternity, for generations upon generations of Christians to read, I outran him. I outran Peter. Anyway, um, not sure what his thoughts were, but he outran him. He got there first. Now you're going to learn something about Peter's personality. Verse 5, he stooped, looked, uh, this is John, he stooped and looked in and saw the linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and he went inside. It says in one Bible, one uh, of the other accounts, he just ran right straight in. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had been, and this is interesting, verse 7, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up, and lying to the side. Interesting point of contention among some right now. That's, that is what we refer to as the Shroud of Turin. And uh, it's the, allegedly the uh, linen cloth that somehow, through some sort of chemical thing, uh, had Jesus' face etched on it when, it was, when he was in the tomb. Um, you know, and, and you know, it's... Obviously, I'm not drinking that Kool-Aid, but I mean, it's... Some people really believe that, and that's okay. 
I'm not being critical of those who don't. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a cynic, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's impossible. It's not impossible. Uh, and, and I know there are people, good people, who are smart and smarter than me who believe that. But um, that's where it comes from. I'm not, I just, I'm not quite there, but that's okay. It doesn't really matter, does it? What matters is that Jesus rose from the dead. That's what matters. So don't get hung up on, on icons and all the other kinds of things that we can. So that's verse 7. Then verse 8, And the other disciple also went in. That's John went in, and he saw and he believed. For until then, they hadn't realized that the Scripture said he would rise from the dead. Then they went home. I mean, this just began, it just made sense to them. All of a sudden, here's John, here's Peter. And, and, and Jesus had said things, certainly. Jesus had said things while he was uh, in bodily form on earth. He had said things about, you know, tear this temple down, it will, it will be raised in three days. And he had given other indications. But somehow or another, John and apparently Peter didn't quite put it all together. And now they're like, oh, that's what he meant. He rose from the dead. Amazing. That's as big of a thing then as it is now. It just doesn't happen. You know, it's only happened once. Um, so there we go, other than the time that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Anyway, so now keep reading here. Verse 11, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stopped and, excuse me, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels sitting at the head and the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they put him. She glanced over her shoulder and saw someone standing behind her. It was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. Why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. That's all he had to say. Mary. She turned toward him and exclaimed, Teacher, Jesus, Jew. Isn't it amazing to have been there? The, the chill that must have gone up her spine when she recognized, oh, that's Jesus. This is not Mary, the mother of Jesus, by the way, in case you're confused. And by the way, just a side note, um, I find it very interesting that uh, the first, you know, sometimes, sometimes people who don't understand the Bible and who don't understand um, the teachings of Christ sometimes will say, well, you know, Christianity is a sexist religion or whatever. And those are people usually who, who either don't know or have just been misinformed because it's not at all. Jesus, the first person he appears to after his death is a woman. That's interesting. There are many other things in the Bible that show us that this is not, that Christ nor the teachings of Christ are in any way anything but treating men and women as equals, which even in that age was a revolutionary thing. So anyway, it's just, I think that's an interesting observation. So here we are in Easter, celebrating this, this event that we just read about right here. Resurrection Day, Easter. Some people say, well, Easter, how do we get that name? 
And, you know, and some of you probably know this, and, and it goes back into the whole thing of there were a lot. There was back into the second century, the Sextons, where they had these pagan rituals in the spring, um, which came out of no religion, just paganism. And, and it had to do with fertility and the rabbits and, and how they would, you know, that would be, you know, there's all kinds of weird fertile stuff and all that other stuff going on. And, uh, and, 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 and early Christians knew that they weren't going to give up that holiday, according to some historians. And so as a result of that, they said, well, let's just make the Resurrection Day on that same, in that same time frame, and we can maybe get them to celebrate with us, which you can argue with. And now some Christians get all whacked out. They say, oh, you can't call it Easter. That's really Easter is the, the goddess of Easter, Ista, and that's really the goddess of fertility, and, and it's about bunnies and stuff like that. And you, you can't mix up the two. And I'm like, it's Easter. I'm, I, I mean, what's wrong with a bunny? Okay, I like bunnies. They're cute. What's wrong with, I really like chocolate bunnies. I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> this is, they don't get all crazy on us on this. And, and, uh, and, and, and so some, and I kind of went through a little thing one time years ago. You, you just call it Resurrection Day. Well, you know what? It's Easter. Let's just call it for what it is and enjoy the candy and the hard, you know, hard-boiled eggs are good for you, aren't they? Aren't they good for you, hard-boiled eggs? I don't know. Um, you know, just enjoy it. And, uh. Don't forget what it really represents. The resurrection of Christ. Cornerstone of our faith. Whenever you talk about Easter, the resurrection of Christ, I, always, I, I try to do this. You know what? I try to do this every Easter, this particular quote I'm going to show you. And I checked my records, and I didn't do it last Easter. I don't know what happened. But um, I always try to do this because it's just one of those great quotes that epitomizes everything. So I'm going to show you two quotes that talk about the resurrection. Um, and, and, and in the interest to be fair and balanced, as we try to be here at Renaissance, not in a political sense, because we don't, that's, that's a whole other deal and we don't get into that, but, uh, but in, in, in fair, fair and balanced in this way, I want to hear from a smart guy and I want to hear from a rocker. And you say, well, can those two be the same? No, no, can't happen. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry, Charlie's up here. I can just abuse him a little bit. Um, <laughs> Uh, they say it might happen sometimes, you know, there's one of those metaphysical things when it comes together and you can be a smart guy and a rocker, but we just don't see it very much. Anyway, let's, let's talk about the smart guy first. Uh, world-class writer, obviously a man that has influenced many of us, C.S. Lewis. And he said this, and it's just, just if you've been here in two Easter's ago, you heard this, but here it is. I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claims to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil from hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or he is a madman or something worse. Think about that. That's a true statement. That's just such a great quote. You say, well, Jesus, I don't believe he really rose from the dead. I just think he was a great teacher. Well, then, then he's a liar. And he's nuts. He's a crazy man. Let me show you interest of fair and balanced. Let me show you what the great rocker said. Says. Present tense. Bono. Does that qualify? That qualify as a great rocker? Okay. Uh, Bono says this. So what you're left with is either Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase. I mean, we're talking nutcase on the level of Charles Manson. 
This man was strapping himself to a bomb and had king of Jews on his head. And as they were putting him on the cross, was going, okay, martyrdom, here we go. Bring on the pain. I can take it. I'm not joking here. The idea that the entire course of civilization for over half the globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that's far-fetched. And he goes on to say, I do believe he is who he said he was. There you go. One of the cornerstones, the cornerstone of the Christian faith is having faith. Maybe a lot of faith, maybe a little faith in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And some say, I have that. I still have questions about that. Well, me too. We're going to start addressing some of those issues with our series next week with the first, with the first message next week, actually. Uh, why doesn't God give us more evidence about his existence and so forth? And we'll get into that then. But, but here's the thing. The, the, the resurrection is the cornerstone, and you may wholeheartedly believe it. You may, you may believe it. But you still have, you know, you're just, not, you know, just a little bit believing it. That's okay, too. It's believing also, it, 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 because of this resurrection, it is because of this resurrection that we can experience what Jesus called real life or real living. Let me show you something else Jesus said, and I, I refer to this often because it's just one of my life verses. It comes from the Gospel of John again, and it's Jesus talking about, he says, my purpose is to give life in all of its fullness. And when you unpack that word fullness, both in the English or the Greek, either one, you come away with almost the same thing, which is it's a word that means richness. I've come to give life in richness or in completeness or with flavor or with filled to capacity or abundance. Good words. The anonym is empty. So it's, it's, I've come to give you a non-empty life, a full life. That's why Jesus came. When that, what that resurrection did for us and what the way Jesus is telling us to live was truly revolutionary. That's the revolutionary part. Because Jesus was bringing this message, Sermon on the Mount, to a lot of people. And you know what? He was saying to a world that was merely trying to survive that life can have meaning and life can have purpose. And that there's a whole lot more, it has a whole lot more to do with the internal person than it does with the outward behavior. Jesus is bringing that message to a culture that that is revolutionary to. And I want to tell you something, that's still revolutionary stuff today. And, and you know, this is one of the key components to being a follower of Christ. And how that key component this inward thing, how that has, is a, it's a key component to Jesus' teaching, how that has gotten lost in church, hopefully not here, but in, and, and, and we're not the only ones, but I mean, how that has gotten lost in, in many churches today, I don't know. Because that's one of the key components of the resurrection of Christ saying, I'm li- I live, I died, I rose again to give you life, not just eternally, but to give you life. I mean, it's about life here, life now. And not just surviving, which some people can get into still today. So here we go. The internal drives the outward behavior. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the purpose of the resurrection. He gives us a couple of examples of that. He gives us several examples of that. I'm only going to use three in the Sermon on the Mount. Where I'm, the Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew, and it's also in, in you have Matthew's account, and then you have Luke's account of it. 
I've been using Matthew's account, which is uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 in the New Testament, if you ever want to read um, all those. But, but I'm going to give you two or three quick examples of what Jesus meant by this, all right? So here you go. First one is this, because he's taking this thing to a different level. It, it, the first thing he starts off with is in Matthew 5.20, he says, I warn you, unless you obey God better than the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees do, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. This would get your attention. It would be, it's very difficult to... to give you a metaphor or a comparison to what we could say this today. I mean, I suppose if you're a devout, 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 devout Catholic and love the Pope, maybe we could say something like if you, if you, you know, were more, you got to be more righteous than the Pope, maybe that would clearly communicate the parallel. It doesn't really work in Renaissance because I could say, well, unless, you're, unless your righteousness surpasses that of rich, then you're doomed because all of you are like, well, I got that down. That's not a problem. <laughs> um, Mother Teresa would probably be a good example. Um, we all know of her incredible work, selfless, totally selfless lady for years and years and years among the poorest of the poor. So how would you feel if, if I were to say to you, you know, unless your righteousness surpasses that of Mother Teresa, you'll never make it to heaven. You'd say, well, I guess I'm going to hell, you know. And yet what Jesus was trying to communicate is you can't be good enough. There has to be something else that happens. And that's why Jesus came and died and rose again to give you the ability to be righteous. That's the only way. That's the only way that you can ever meet that level of righteousness is in a relationship with, by, by, by trusting Christ, relationship with him. So now he, he, he reiterates that, and I'm going to show it to you very quickly, three different ways. He does it more than that. I'm just going to show you three different ways in the Sermon on the Mount. First, the first way he does that is in chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that the law of Moses says, don't murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, uh-oh, you are in danger of being brought before the high council. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hells. Cursing someone doesn't mean you just curse at someone. Like, oh, shoot. Um, curse, cursing someone means that you, you're basically saying, excuse me, I'm not trying to be profane, but it's basically saying, damn you. And literally meaning that. That's what he's talking about in terms of a curse. You know, and some people might even, say, might even call God to do that. And that's, that's, why, that's why we don't do that. That's why you, you really... I mean, you know, I'm not, you know, you know, I, I can get as salty as anybody else, but there are certain things I just don't think you should say. And that's one of them I don't think you should say. And I think that's, you know, don't damn someone. His point is this, though. It's not just a matter of pulling out your sword and killing someone. You can also kill someone with your words. And even more than that, you can kill someone. Here, here's the point. There will have been, I don't know how many people here today, but, but every one of those people, somewhere around 500 people, and every one of those people who've been here this morning in Renaissance Church, everyone, including you, trying to, trying to take it easy on you, not just say you, okay? You got company. Um, every one of us have at one time or another been guilty of murder. Now, you say, well, I've never really, I've never really, I'm a nice person. And so that you've never had even a split second where you have thought, maybe you didn't say anything verbally, where you have thought, I hate you. I wish you were dead. You didn't say it. 
Maybe you didn't, maybe you didn't think those words, but just for a second. And, you know, and, and maybe, it's, maybe they really were jerks. Maybe, maybe it was on, you know, the Garden State. Maybe it was somewhere, somewhere else. You know what I mean? Just for a moment. And Jesus is saying that's just as guilty as the person who pulls out a gun or a sword, in his case, and, and, and kills someone. You say, yeah, but the consequences are a lot different. Yes, they are. Don't get consequences and sin mixed up because there are different consequences for all kinds of different things. And you're not going to go to jail for having had that thought, but it's not a good way to live. That's what Jesus is saying. Second example he gives, this is kind of scary. Um, you know, I've often said the Bible is like, it's like reading the paper in the sense that, not, not in the sense that the Bible's true and the paper usually aren't true, but the, the Bible, in the sense, is as relevant as the daily newspaper. Like, verse 27, you have heard that the law of Moses says, do not commit adultery. Hmm. Okay, never mind. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust in his eyes, that's desire in his eyes, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Interjection here. It may be a man, woman, maybe a woman, man, maybe a man, man, it could be anything. He's talking about, you know, looking at someone with desire that is not your lifelong spouse, husband or wife. Um, that's, that's what he's saying here. So, you know, he says it to men. So women, that doesn't get you off the hook, just for the record. But now, look what happens here, because this gets a little scary. So if your eye, even if it is your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. Ooh. Is it better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell? And if your hand, even if it's your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Very quickly, we have different rules in, in Greek and, in, 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 and rules of grammar. And we have different rules of what we call the rules of hermeneutics or rules of interpreting the Bible. Okay, there's a new rule out that, that was just recently invented. And the rule basically is the rich teeter's rule of common sense. Jesus isn't talking about gouging out your eye. Give me a break. You know, he's not talking about cutting off your hand. Jesus is saying, take action. Maybe turn your head. Maybe shut your eyes. Maybe don't look at that movie. Maybe don't pick up that particular magazine. Maybe don't listen to that particular thing. If you're a kleptomaniac, keep your hands in your pocket. You know, that's all he's saying, is take action to stop whatever it is that the temptation is in your life in in this particular case. Again, he comes back to the righteousness has to come from within, and that only comes through Christ. One last example he, he gives... A couple more, but one last for example for us is in verse 43. You have heard the law of Moses says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's a great thing to do, by the way. Very therapeutic. It really is. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust too. If you love only those who love you, what good is that? Even corrupt tax gatherers do that much? Interjection. You know, you may work for the IRS, and if you do, I'm sure you're a fine person, okay? And Jesus isn't condemning you here, okay? He's, because, you know, that's, there might be some other people here who might have some issues with you, but, but Jesus doesn't. 
And the point here is the tax gatherers of that day literally made their money off of the off of the sweat of others. They would only make their money by overcharging, and it was total corruption, total fraud. That's why a tax gatherer was synonymous with the evil person. So don't get confused on that. Not that we all like taxes or anything. He says, if you love only those who love you, what good is that? Even corrupt tax gatherers do that much. If you are, if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anybody else? Even pagans do that. Huh. You are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And of course, we're not perfect. We're to strive for it, but he's, we're not God. And we're not going to be, but we're to strive for that kind of, of pattern. The internal drives the behavior. The internal can only be renovated, can only be changed because of a risen Lord, Jesus Christ, as we go to him daily, more than daily. Let me make three statements, and uh, let's do this. Number one, Easter is a celebration of a risen Lord. Easter is a celebration of a risen Lord. You know, he came, he lived, he suffered, he died, and he rose again for sinners like me, sinners like you people who are just full of, full of obduracy. I saw that look. What did he just say? What did he just say? Obduracy. We have some college girls down here in the front row. Maybe we get them to define that. Wake Forest. I'm sure you learned that at Wake Forest, didn't you? Um, um, obduracy. I should, should I put her on the spot? No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Um, she's been going to many basketball games. Um, Obduracy, stubbornly persistent in wrongdoing. Isn't that a good word? Stubbornly persistent in wrongdoing. Anybody got any kids like that? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> Anybody got any friends like that? That's who we all are. And Jesus came. That's where we celebrate the risen Lord. Easter is a celebration of revolutionary living. It's revolutionary because it's not sin management of outward behavior. It's not a code of ethics. It begins inwardly and changes behavior outwardly. But it's inward driven. Easter is a celebration of your choices. Your choice of how how am I going to live? I can live in a way that will show honor to my creator or not. I can live in a way that will show love for others or not. I can live in a way that will seek a living God's help with my internal issues of life, knowing that that will end up changing me outwardly. I can live that way or not. And I trust that every one of us will say, that's how I want to live. And Jesus Thank you that you're alive. And by my invitation, live in me and seek to make these things happen, begin to happen, and happen a little more than they did before. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Let's pray. Lord God, we, uh, we do thank you for your love and for your grace and for the just, just what you do for us that we can come together on a day that we celebrate as, as, the, as your resurrection. And, and between this and the other day that's celebrated is that for the, our, our, our brethren across the, uh, 
across the ocean. We, 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 so, men, so many millions and billions of us do that, and it's just so neat to know that. That God, you have affected so many and continue to be doing that. We pray, God, that we would take care of the inward as we go to you, as we seek your wisdom, your strength working in us. We pray that. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.